We wish you a merry Zipsmas and uh, welcome back. It is a Cardinals off day, the very first Cardinals off day uh, since the end of the season. We're very excited to be back here with you. This is Ben Godar. And uh, joining me as always, uh, my good friend, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Excited to be uh, back recording with you. Uh, You and I uh, had uh, a fairly busy, for different reasons, Uh, you had a a good busy end of the year, um, and I had a a bad busy end of the year, start of the year, because I had to have surgery. So we've been uh, I guess I was kind of on the injured list for about a week, um, and uh, you've been very busy uh, helping better the culture of Central Iowa. And so, congratulations to you on on the successful uh, reopening uh, and relaunching of the Varsity Cinema in downtown Des Moines. I encourage everyone to go down and check it out. The popcorn's delicious, and Ben is programming a lot of good movies. Yeah, absolutely. And I, especially all of our listeners in St. Louis, I'd say, you know, hop in the car, you know, drive six plus <laughs> hours, uh, you know, come see some movies that are probably also playing in St. Louis. I think it's well worth the drive. But uh, yeah, no, Ben and I have been uh, pretty busy with uh, real life stuff, of course. And, uh, you know, the off season, let's be honest, we don't make any commitments during the off season. We do this during the off days, during the regular season. But that said, we we do like to check in more often than we have. So it's nice to uh, that we can finally get back with you. And, uh, and really, um, you know, Ben, I think, you know, Christmas is nice. Of course, we see our families, but let's be honest, Zipsmas is the holiday that you and I, I think, look forward to the most. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and we have been lucky the last couple of years because Fangraphs uh, put out the Cardinals projections uh, using the Zips projection system uh, earlier in the off season, uh, closer actually to the Christmas holiday. And this year, I think we're kind of cycling back through as they kind of break up when they do that and change things around. And they're one of the last teams this year uh, here in the second half of January. Absolutely. No, it's, uh, it's, it's been tough. It's been tough waiting, but uh, Dan Zaborski's Zips projections uh, were finally released and so, uh, so yeah, I think we're going to use those to kind of take a spin through, um, see what uh, that system has to say about uh, the the 2023 Cardinals, and uh, and we can also just use that as a little bit of a jumping off point to kind of talk about some of the things that have happened here this off season. So we're going to kind of move through position by position, uh, and Ben, why don't we uh, why don't we start things off behind the plate? uh at the at the catching position and and i'm going to kick things off there um (laughs) you know uh we have a little bit of a new addition behind the plate ben i don't know if you if you've been reading the papers uh since we've uh, last recorded but uh, the cardinals did acquire uh wilson Contreras. you see i'm already off to a bad start uh, and, uh, I, uh, I took, a, I took a look and, uh, you know, Zips projects a 113 OPS plus for Wilson Contreras and a 3.1 wins above replacement. And before we talk about Mr. Contreras and how we feel about that particular projection, just for context, I'd like folks to know that last season, the St. Louis Cardinals catchers put up a 61 OPS plus and a negative 0.6 wins above replacement. So with, with that context in mind, Ben, how, how do you feel about the acquisition of Contreras and that projection in particular? Uh, I feel really good about the acquisition. Um, I tend to like acquisitions where you just have to give up Bill DeWitt's money. Um, 100%. To and so uh, this signing in particular, though, uh, seems to be giving away Bill DeWitt's money in a way that he would like. And it's been a really interesting uh, sort of development with respect to the free agency market. To me, it felt like, and I don't know how you felt, Ben, but it felt like the money for catchers was not what teams were willing to pay for every other position. Um you know, like yeah, the, and, it's, and the, especially given, especially given the scarcity of of quality at catcher. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right, and uh, you know, like 
like the the analogous catcher for Wilson Contreras, or you know the excuse me, the analogous like outfielders and pitchers, they're getting these really huge deals, and catchers have usually gotten paid less. Um, but it kind of it, it felt like it's even more less or even lesser than usual. And uh, the Contreras deal really felt that way. And now that the dust has kind of settled on all of the major free agent activity, and there will still be some signings, but, uh, you know, I like this deal even more. Um, And it seems to me that uh, the Cardinals have made a significant upgrade, as as you alluded to, with respect uh, to the wins above replacement last year. And, And we should also recognize, though, that that catcher is the position that wins above replacement and statistics has uh, probably least captured of any of the other positions because of the interplay between the catcher and the pitcher and calling games, that type of thing. And uh, there's a part of me, Ben, that wonders if, you know, Major League Baseball seems to be valuing that more and more across the board, that aspect well, of it. And and I well, kind of wonder what you think about that with respect to Contreras. Well, I think you're right about um, there's a lot of aspects of the catcher that I think this, you know, statistics don't capture, but they, you know, they do capture the offensive uh, aspects of it. And that was dog shit last year. So I think <laughs> we, we, we can be certain of that. So we know that we've upgraded you know, that, that we've upgraded there. In fact, let's, let's, let's be honest. Uh, the Cardinals went from the best defensive catcher in team history to the best offensive catcher in team history. I think that's probably what's, what's happened right here. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a, you know, it's, it's a dramatic move. I think it's, uh, I think people are actually talking about it, you know, probably less than they should be, <laughs> you know, just for what, a, what a big swing it really was. Oh, and it, and it was a really big swing. And, uh, and it's something that's really interesting also to me is the way that Contreras's, uh profile is as a hitter. There's just so much to like. He hits the ball really hard a lot, which is good. Yeah. And so you feel like you're not dealing with any sort of mirage, uh, whereas you know, the last big signing, a lot of folks have compared it to Dexter Fowler. Um, and not that Dexter Fowler was a mirage, but you looked at him and you were kind of like, uh, I don't know if this is going to, yeah. if he's going to be that good moving forward. Or you look at, you know, uh, other, I, I remember when the Cardinals signed Juan Encarnacion and Walt Jockety proclaimed him a core player. And, you know, you looked at his stats and it's like, oh, that's not really a core player. But then when you look at uh, Wilson Contreras uh, and and his profile as a hitter, you know, in terms of quality of contact and production, you know, he is an exceptional hitter for a catcher and he is a very good hitter for a designated hitter. And so, you know, if it's a three quarters, one quarter or two thirds, one third share with Andrew Kisner, you still feel all right if you're using Contreras uh, at DH because uh, his bat definitely plays there. And I think this is a very good signing because it makes that Cardinals lineup that much deeper in a way it hasn't been probably since the early 2010s. Yeah, and and just to you know maybe cap things off here on catcher because I don't you know we we don't want to make this a, a five hour podcast, but and, and circling back to one of the first things you said, Ben, I, I anytime um, they can acquire a player for just Bill Dewitt's money, I think we have to um, you know we have to applaud that. And and I know a lot of people have said you know I think a lot of people really wanted to see them acquire Sean Murphy specifically or another player via trade, and I certainly understand. Uh, having a player like that who who you like that skill set and you, you maybe you like that youth and you like things like that but you know anytime you acquire a player like this you know just you know by you know selling off you know five or six Arby's franchises you're adding assets into the system when you make a trade you're just shuffling around and rearranging some assets so you know that's good this is good and and I'm uh, and, and it's it's a clear upgrade obviously from what they had last year you know um, regardless of how accurate this zips projection <laughs> is for sure so um, 
so, you know, moving over to the infield, Ben, let me just kick it over to you. What, what, what stood out to you um, on the, uh, the Zips infield projection? Uh, the thing that stood out, I think, most to me uh, is Paul Goldschmidt is, according to Zips, and I happen to agree with this, uh, Paul Goldschmidt is not an MVP caliber talent uh, anymore in his decline phase. Uh, even though he's the reigning MVP and people are going to be like, well, you're in, you're insane. What did you just say? But you look at his quality of contact numbers, you know, he had a very good 2022. I'm, I think he deserved to be the MVP. Um, but if you look at sort of the peripherals in terms of exit velocity, uh, barrels, that type of thing, you know, there's not a lot of reason to believe that he's going to repeat as MVP in 2023. In fact, uh, you know, you probably expect him uh, to regress and still be good, but not that level of good. And, and Zips seems to have his number in that regard. Um, still supposed to be a very good batter, a 362 weighted on base average worth about four wins overall. Uh, but the thing that I found uh, most interesting about it was um, that also even his 80th percentile wins above replacement was would be 5.6 wins above replacement, which is still, again, very, very good, but not MVP caliber good. And so I think we all probably need to you know, tap the brakes a little bit on uh, Paul Goldschmidt's uh, expectations going into this year. He will he will be good, but I don't know if he will be an MVP caliber player because I just don't know that he is an MVP caliber talent anymore, uh, no matter how many hockey puck bats, how much uh, work he does uh, with some of the more advanced technology and physiology. Um, so that kind of stuck out to me that when you hear people talk about the Cardinals, they talk about Goldschmidt and Arenado, but Arenado, it, it is much more fair to expect Nolan Arenado to be an MVP caliber player moving forward than it is Paul Goldschmidt. And we have every reason to believe that Paul Goldschmidt is going to fall back to earth a little bit this year and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Although, um, you know, I think Paul Goldschmidt, you know, Paul Goldschmidt's baseline is, is a very, is very good, but I think he's that type of player who, you know, his, you know, his, his floor and his ceiling are pretty, you know, uh, pretty close, <laughs> you know, um, and, and he's just, uh, has a, a level of consistency there. Um, but you know, you're, 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 you know, you're right about that. And, and, you know, as I just looked through that, those kind of 80th and 20th percentiles, there, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Nolan Arenado's 80th percentile, you know, war is you know seven, which is you know that's that's the MVP range right yep. there. You yep. know, is is that, and he, you know, he's he's the guy who can do that. But you know, I think we know that. I think you know, we know that Nolan Arenado is is really the guy. I mean, <laughs> you know, he is he's absolutely the you know the total package. Um, uh, you know, um, yeah, gosh, looking through here, uh, honestly. Um, you know, to me, I mean, uh, you know, Arenado and Goldschmidt, um, honestly, super solid numbers at the corners there. I mean, you look around the league, I don't think there's a team that wouldn't, uh, you know, feel pretty good with those kind of projections, you know, coming out of the corners. Absolutely solid projections there. Up the middle, I think, is where I have, you know, I have some concerns. And, you know, I think really, uh, you know, Tommy Edmond is the only player that you feel, you know, pretty good about. Um, uh, you know, up the middle. Um, and, uh, you know, we, of course, um, you know, have been uh, ha- have been down on Tommy Edmond. Um, uh, I, I uh, over the last year, you know, the two things that Tommy Edmond did last year that, um, you know, to me, uh, you know, kind of raised my, you know, my baseline on him. You know, he did show that he could play shortstop, which coming into last year, you know, was a question mark and he definitely, you know, he showed he could play shortstop and he played shortstop at a high level, um, you know, and, and he, you know, he hit, um, 
uh, at you know kind of brought his his, his hitting up to uh, you know league average last year. I think there's some question about whether or not that league averageness can stay, but you know I don't think it'd drift that much below league average. And so you know at that league you know at, at the level he can play shortstop at. You know, whether he's a, you know, 100 OPS plus guy or he's a 90 OPS plus guy, I don't think it really matters that much. You know, he's he's fine and he's he's a you know, he can do the job there at shortstop. But, you know, you get behind him. um, I mean, first of all, Paul DeYoung is the only backup shortstop on this roster. You know, he's the only guy you can put over there. They put Donovan at shortstop a few games last year. And I don't know if you watched any of those games, you don't want to see Donovan back there at shortstop that, you know, that wasn't really working. Um and then, um, you know, Gorman, you know, you know, is still, uh, you know, working at second base. And I think, you know, you know, maybe could handle some second base, but obviously he's still, um, you know, not, you know, showing a lot of strength there. And and frankly, the, the Zips projection on Donovan is one of the ones that really stood out to me that it was quite low on Brenda Donovan. So, um, you know, all of that together, um, you know, just didn't, you know, definitely to me, there's kind of question marks in that middle infield, I would say. Um, yeah, there, there definitely uh, are some question marks um, in the middle infield. And I was very fascinated by the Zips projection uh, for Edmund because it foresees more power uh, than he's really ever hit for. Um, except for when he came up uh, in his rookie year with the juiced ball. And so I thought that was kind of interesting that this is the middle of the road projection is higher than he's really ever done before. Um, And I was also interested because, you know, it zips believes he's going to be about as good at shortstop as Nolan Arenado is at third base defensively. And that's something that you, you see time and again uh, from observers uh, and I was interested that Zips had that expectation uh, because he hasn't played much shortstop. Uh, something that StatCast uh, suggests is that, you know, there's more volatility to fielding performance than might have previously uh, been accepted amongst fans and uh, baseball people generally. And so uh, he played shortstop well last year. We'll see if he plays shortstop well next year. Um, I'm not 100% sold on it. Um, and I'm also not 100% sold on all the ground balls. So, you know, that's the real question. We know he's been at the Nolan Arenado uh, factory. Maybe Lars Newtbar has been giving them some tips on hitting the ball hard in the air. So maybe his uh, skill level will change and he'll produce a solid uh, wins above replacement total with a, another profile this year. Um, but it'll be pretty interesting because, you know, you could see the bottom falling out of that middle infield pretty easily with Donovan's batted ball profile uh, and also his hitting profile where he seems to have uh, Ben uh, Clemens at uh, Fangraphs had that really interesting post about, uh, you know, basically there's been a lot of studies that show Major League Baseball players should just swing less. <laughs> and but very few do and donovan seems to be the one who's like yeah i'm just not gonna swing and he doesn't and he doesn't get himself out but his batted ball profile isn't one that is very heartening so the question is if you aren't able to do damage how long can you go not swinging and so that's that's the tension uh with his profile and his growth as a player moving forward You've already touched on Paul DeYoung. Uh, we don't really know what Gorman will be like in the post-shift world. Uh, it's The middle infield has a lot of potential answers, um, but it, it also ha- each one of those answers comes with, its own, with his own series of questions. And so I, I think that's the part of the team that I would say is probably uh, the most concerning to me as we enter the season. Yeah, I think so as well. So, um, you know, moving over to the outfield, I would say, um, you know, one of the first things that jumped out to me was how much more uh, zips like, I would say, it seems the St. Louis Cardinals uh, likes Lars Newtbar than it likes Dylan Carlson. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it present, uh, projects Lars Newtbar 
um, you know, at a, a 113 OPS plus. Um, it proje- uh, projects Dylan Carlson at a 106 uh, OPS plus. Um, uh, defensively, it projected uh, uh, Lars Newtbar at a you know plus three. Uh, uh, Dylan Carlson at a negative two. Um, you know, uh, you know, pretty striking, uh, frankly. And uh, honestly, you know, we Dylan Carlson is somebody who I mean, coming into last year. I would have told you I thought was maybe, you know, one of, if not the most valuable asset overall in the Cardinals system, just kind of given his, his, you know, his youth and, and I think kind of his projectability. Um, and I just feel like his, his value has cratered so, so much. And, um, you know, if this Zips projection is, you know, is accurate, uh, I mean, you know, a, you know, a 106 OPS plus in a corner outfielder, um, I mean that's pretty fringy, uh, Ben. What do you what do you think? Oh, it's very fringy. And and the question that we have to ask ourselves is how much healthier do you think he's gonna be? And how much did his health impact his performance last year? And that's the thing about projection systems is they don't know that. They just yes. know the performance. And so yep. Zips is taking the performance. It's weighting the most recent season more than the second most recent season, more than the season before that, typically. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you're you're getting something that is definitely has uh, the taint of his uh, you know injury plague 2022 there. And so how healthy is he? And and how much was health a factor in his performance last year? Um, but then also you have to ask yourself, and you've talked about this, Ben, is how are his splits going to play out? And also how is his batted ball profile perhaps going to change? We see all the social media with Lars Newtbar going, trying to maximize launch angle, maximize his exit velocity, uh, make himself a better player. And with his batting eye and plate approach, Newtbar, that is a very enticing thing. If you have Lars Newtbar going up and working the count the way that Lars Newtbar has throughout his career, but then when he is making contact, he's driving the ball hard in the air, that is a very potent player. Is Dylan Carlson interested in making that type of change? You know, we don't know because we don't see it. And Mm so I'm, I'm very interested. He seemed to take, and it may have been injury driven, uh, more of a, almost an eight 1980s approach of like slapping the ball and, and trying to hit it up the middle instead of trying to pull it and hit for power. And so the, the question becomes what is Dylan Carlson's batting profile going to look like if he is healthy next year? And we don't know the answer to that. He, he is very much uh, the most difficult player to project in my opinion Uh, as we enter next year. Um, And I thought he was going to have a great season last year. Um, And in large part because of his batting eye and plate approach, but the batted ball profile, the quality of contact wasn't there. And so you wonder what, what will he provide the Cardinals uh, next season? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and just a couple that worth noting, um, you know, Alec Burleson's projection is actually quite high. In fact, it's almost exactly equal to (laughs) Dylan Carlson's projection. Um, So, um, you know, for what that's worth, um, of course, we saw almost nothing from Alec Burleson in his, you know, time with him in the majors last year. But I mean, he just absolutely tore up AAA competition, you know, for the majority of last season. Um, So, you know, again, that's what the, you know, the Zips computer uh, you know, projects for him. Um, the, you know, the, the Jordan Walker projection here is, uh, you know, is, is, uh, you know, an 89 weighted runs created plus, which, you know, again, if you keep that in context, this is a guy who played double a last year. <laughs> so, uh, that's actually quite good, right? <laughs> if a guy could jump from double a and do that, but, you know, for those of us, uh, you know, who are, you know, dreaming on, uh, you know, Jordan Walker, uh, walking into spring training and, uh, you know, being a, you know, an all-star, um, you know, that's not what you want to see, but you know, that's maybe just, uh, um, you know, I guess, uh, kind of, uh, uh, keep your, keep your expectations in check. Yeah. Walker isn't going to be the second coming of Albert Pujols in all likelihood. 
And so, you know, Zips is giving us that grain of salt. Uh, Dan in his write-up did say there's a lot of upside in years two, three, four down the line. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see that. Uh, you know, you touched on the outfield. I, I was amazed at how uh, similar Zips projected so many of the outfielders. Carlson at a 320 yeah. weighted on base average. O'Neill at a 334, Newt Bar 330, um, and then you had Yepes at 337, and and you touched on on Burley there, and so uh, to me it's you just have a lot of depth there, and I think the Cardinals feel pretty good about that that they will kind of like last year, we're just going to play who's hitting, and we'll be able to yeah. find a solution to the outfield through a mix and match process, and I, did, that's what they're yeah, going to do. Ben, did you ever have those like little green army men toys when you were a kid? Yes. Uh, yeah. I think that's the Cardinals outfield this season. And I think, you know, they're just going to reach into that little bucket of army men and just kind of grab a wad of them and just throw them in the outfield, you know, each game. and I think <laughs> yeah. that's essentially going to be, you know, because you're right. It's a, it's a quantity over uh, quality <laughs> approach essentially, um, you know, and, and of course they hope that some of these guys really, you know, rise up and, and, um, you know, assert themselves, but, um, but they've got a, a, a lot of, I mean, they've got depth and they've got a, a number of guys there who you feel, you know, pretty confident, you know, could produce at a league average level, um, you know, and certainly more so than up the middle there in the, in the infield, as we were talking about, um, to, so let's talk about um, uh, designated hitter. And by that, I mean, let's talk about Juan Yepes because um, he's probably the only guy we haven't really, you know, touched on here. Um, you know, Yepes, um Zips is pretty, um, you know, pretty bullish on. They project, a, you know, a 118, um, you know, weighted runs created plus, which is very, very good. My question with Yepes is, and we've talked about this, I think, kind of throughout his career is just, you know, is he going to get enough playing time? And on the one hand, you know, geez, if he's hitting that well, they will absolutely find him some at-bats. But I just continue to wonder, um, first of all, you've got Contreras in the mix now, who's yet another, you know, really good right-handed hitter and a catcher at that who, um, you know, will will get designated hitter at-bats, you know, to, to rest. You know, plus, of course, you've got Goldie and Arenado, um, you know, getting older, you know, other right-handed hitters who will get some of those at-bats. Plus, of course, you've got the fact that, uh, you know, you've got uh, Gorman and probably, you know, Brendan Donovan to some extent, uh, you know, left-handers who, you know, you will see, uh, you know, I would think a, a pretty decent amount of uh, designated hitter starts against right-handed pitching because of the platoon advantage. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think... Uh... Ali Marmal has his work cut out for him uh, for juggling all these players and getting them enough game action that they are happy, but also that they're sharp and able to contribute. And so, um, you know, between the middle infield, uh, you know, and Donovan, is he going to get played appearances in the outfield because that was his best defensive position last year. Um, But, but when you look at all the outfielders that they, they currently have, and that's not even really considering Jordan Walker, who I think is, is probably going to start the season in triple a and then come up and play left field every day. Once Tyler O'Neill goes on the injured list, Um, (laughs) you know, like, so on on April 3rd. (laughs) So, uh, and I like Tyler O'Neill, but, I, I do know, too, but then you also and, do look, and so does and so does the uh, injured list. Yes, yes, uh, but so you look at that you, and you kind of wonder how much of a leash is he going to give Tyler O'Neill? Is he going to give Dylan Carlson? Yeah. You know, and and how much center field is Newtbar going to play? How much outfield do you allow Yepes to play because he did not look that great out in the outfield last year, um, and. Uh, you know, then how do you mix Wilson Contreras in uh, and Andrew Kisner? And so uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how they juggle all of these players, um, because yeah. I think they had kind of hoped that they might, in in getting a catcher, they would kind of relieve the logjam a little bit. Um, 
by by trading from that surplus and and the reporting indicated that they were kind of hoping that uh maybe a yepez would be included in that trade uh with the a's and and they just didn't line up and so now yeah. it's a good problem to have because they have yeah. a lot of players who look like they're going to be quality major league hitters they just need to find them the plate appearances and this is something that you and i have been talking about since we started this podcast ben is load management right like yeah <laughs> there's no reason to give most major league players 600 plate appearances it's much yeah. better to give them like 450 to 550 maybe uh depending on the player. And so the Cardinals might very well be in that position this year where they're, uh, you know, get try in trying to get everyone playing time, they're going to be able to manage their workloads and everyone's going to be fresh for the home stretch in September and hopefully for the playoffs in October. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I brought it up and I, and in the context of, find, you know, trouble finding at bats, but, but I am very, I am extremely pro depth (laughs) and, you know, um, I think I bring up the Dodgers on every single podcast in this regard, you know, but you know, the Dodgers, every other excellent team has this kind of depth. You find these at bats over the course of the season. Um, this is the way good teams are built and it's, it's just not a problem. And so, um, you know, you'd rather see this than see the opposite, you know, which is, um, you know, trying to have, you know, one um, really bona fide starter guy at every position and then a, a bench full of garbage, um, which we've certainly had in many seasons. Um, so, Ben, let's let's flip it over to the the pitching side and maybe start with the the starting pitchers. Did anything um, jump out to you with uh, with the starters? Uh, I think. Jordan Montgomery's projection probably jumped out to about everyone. Uh, yeah. Zips projects him to be a three-win pitcher, the best pitcher uh, in the rotation. Um, that really jumped out with, at me. Uh, the other thing that jumped out at me uh, was the fact that Zips projected Adam Wainwright to be worth 1.9 wins above replacement, right? And so then I was like, oh, it must not expect him to throw a lot of innings, but he's projected for 154, uh, basically 155 innings. And so there, Zips is not uh, very high on Adam Wainwright. It expects him to be about league average on ERA. Um, but the thing that blew my mind is uh, Zips projects Dakota Hudson to throw 145 innings, have uh, an ERA a little bit worse, uh, and be worth 1.7 wins above replacement. It also projects Connor Thomas to throw 128 innings, 1.7 wins above replacement, lower ERA than Adam Wainwright, and uh, Matthew Libertor, 1.9 wins above replacement, 3.99 ERA, and 141 innings. And so when you look at that, um, you, you kind of begin to wonder, maybe the Cardinals do have enough depth to absorb whatever injuries come their way, uh, whether it's Flaherty, whether it's Michaelis, whether it's Wainwright, um, whether it's Matt's, uh, and be okay this year. Because it, in, in the last couple of years, you weren't quite sure if, if they had that, uh, and they wound up not having it. But this year, it feels like they might have finally built up that shadow rotation down in AAA that can help bridge the gap when the injuries start to come. Yeah, um, you know, um, and that is something that, uh, you know, Dan mentions in his kind of narrative um, for this year as well is, um, you know, saying that, uh, you know, on the pitching side, feeling like, the, you know, the Cardinals had a little, a little more kind of depth at that sort of triple A level. And, and, and I would agree. And I, I think, you know, we, we do tend to be critical of them. You know, there is no, you know, ACE level pitching in this rotation, you know, aside from maybe Jordan Montgomery, if this, <laughs> you know, projection is really, you know, on, on the nose, but, um, but yeah, there there's more depth at the bottom of this rotation than you might think. Um, and, and that's something I've been kind of thinking about a little more lately, too. I mean, you know, if you want to call them number 
you know, five type starters or swingmen. I mean, you start thinking about it and they got, they've been stockpiling these guys, haven't they? I mean, just between the, you know, between the, the Zach Thompson type guys and the, frankly, the Matthew Liberator, um, you know, type guys, uh, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, even just like the, you know, the, the Drew Verhagen, you know, remember him, you know, just some of these guys that they've got kind of hanging around. There's, there's a lot of bodies back there. And, um, you know, and of course, your Dakota Hudson's, your Jake Woodford's, all of these guys, your, your Connor Thomas's who, you know, maybe enter the conversation at some point. So, um, yeah, when inevitably, you know, the guys that are in the sort of, uh, you know, start the season and that starting five go down, um, you know, there's plenty of names that can come in there and, and fill in. So, um, so yeah, they've got names. Um, you know, I think they've got, you know, you know, plenty of number five ish type guys to fill in. And, uh, you know, um, it, it, I guess if they can hold that kind of a baseline, you know, and they can keep giving you number five guy type stuff, and they just don't have to, you know, drop down to guys that are giving you, you know, number seven guy type stuff or, you know, number 11 guy type stuff, um, you know, that maybe holds, you know, holds up well enough with, um, you know, really still, you know, probably very good defense and, uh, you know, very, very strong hitting. Um, what do you think? Yeah, the I think the secret of the Cardinals' success in the 2010s was redefining replacement player up. Uh, so that it wasn't zero for the Cardinals because of their organizational depth. And it allowed them to absorb injuries um, and still be competitive or or better than competitive, still be good. And um, I think that the Cardinals are, you know, probably uh, getting back into that area of depth with respect to their pitching. Um, but as you said, and this is something that I don't want to beat a dead horse because we spent most of last offseason talking about how they needed to get top tier starting pitching um, because that is what the team does not have. And here we are once again, when you look around and see who's adding uh, the elite uh, pitchers, you know, it's sort of the rich are getting richer and that makes the postseason matchup in particular, uh, in a short series, uh, a little bit tricky if you're not one of the top two seeds. And when you look at the zips projections, uh, for the position players, you see a team in, and even when you include the pitching right now, you see a team that's a 90, you know, 92 win team on paper. Yeah. And if they had a guy at the top of the rotation who, you know, you're going to win 25 of the games that he starts, 20, 25 of the games he starts because he's going to hold the opponent's run scoring down, you know, that takes you up another, another couple wins. But the Cardinals apparently decided that that cost was too rich for the marginal wins that it would add both in the regular season and in the postseason. And that's, you know, that's the wallet ball through and through. And, yeah. and that could very well be a problem for this team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're going to hit on that a little bit uh, at the end of the end of the show here today, but uh, uh, flipping it over to the relief pitchers. And I don't know, there's a lot on any individual I want to say here, but, but Holy cow, zips loves this bullpen. I mean, just up and down, loves this bullpen and, and even loves uh, Andre Pallante, who you don't like at all, Ben. I mean, you don't like Andre Pallante at all. And, and Zips is even high on Andre <laughs> Pallante. Um, <laughs> what do you what do you think about Zips uh, love for this bullpen? I uh, I really like when something like this uh, comes out and challenges your perceptions uh, about you know, the team in the bullpen, but you're, you're absolutely right. When you look at, you know, Zips is, is high on, uh, Palante on Stratton on Cabrera. I, I think it's, it's pretty high on Woodford too. Um, you know, and, 
Yeah, right. I mean, and, it has Woodford at league average. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, which maybe he, maybe he is. But like, yeah. uh, you know, I I saw this and I was like, well, it, this feels, you know, not an 80th percentile because obviously it's not. But it, when right. you looked at the projections, it was kind of like if this is this is like a best case scenario. If all of these relievers pitch this way, yeah. this yeah. team is going to be very good. Oh, yeah. um, because they're they're not going to give up uh, many uh, late inning leads, and yeah. they're going to be able to hold the other team and maybe have some late inning comebacks. And so, uh, I was very surprised. I, I by you know I think everyone agrees Helsley and Gallegos are good. When you get below those top two guys, Zips is like, oh hey, all these guys are good too. You know, yeah. not quite well, as good, but pretty good. Yeah. Well, and especially with the kind of middling starting rotation that we just talked about, boy, it's nice to have like a really solid bullpen. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we certainly hope this is the case. I think we hope all of these projections are, are just a hundred percent accurate, frankly, because as, as Dan mentions in his write up, you know, he, he's, and he doesn't give exactly what zips projection is here, but he's, he says his personal feeling is that the Cardinals are an 89 to 93 win team, but says that, you know, zips actually projects them even better than that. So this is a really, really high projection for a Cardinals team. As I've said many times, you know, the, the wallet ball is, you know, designed to produce an 88 win team. So frankly, Mo and the DeWitts, they screwed up this year. Um, it would appear and and may have produced a team that's better than they intended. So um, I certainly hope that's the case. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, Ben, um, before we kind of move on to wrap up, one thing I always love um, about Zips is the comps. And at the end, um, there are uh, player comps for every player. So these are, um, you know, three players that each player is most similar to kind of at that age or that moment in their career. And I just think there's always some really fun ones, um, right there. Um, let me throw it to you for the first one or, or some that, that jumped out to you. I've got several kind of written down here that jumped out to me. Uh, my, uh, my favorite, uh, one, um, on here uh, was the uh, Tyler O'Neill comp um, that was to, I think it was his number two comp. I, I can't remember right now off the top of my head, um, but it, it was his comp was his number two comp was Bobby Bonds. And I was like, Oh man, like that just really hits. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> I, I was, you know, every once in a while, there's just one where it's like, oh, it's like a different era, but you you just see it on the page, and you're just like, oh yeah, yeah, that really tracks. Um, yeah. So I I really that one really hit me. I was like, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, oh, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Well, I'll tell you. So, uh, I'll give you one that did that for me. Paul Goldschmidt had uh, Edgar Martinez on his, and um, you know, just solid, um, you know, production late into his career. Um, of course, Goldschmidt. His other two names were Pedro Guerrero and Lou Gehrig. So that's always a sign, you know, <laughs> late in your career when it's just every single guy on there is is just fantastic. Um, but I'll tell you a really fun one, Ben. I'm going to throw a second one out at you. Paul DeYoung had two former Cub managers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lee, Leah, Leah, and Jim Riggleman both on there. <laughs> so um, I just I found that um, I found that rather amusing. Um, any others that uh, that jumped out at you? Uh, Wilson Contreras's number one hitter comp being Carlton Fisk was real. It really brought home like Wilson Contreras is a very good catcher like he can hit you know yes like, and, and i 100 percent. and i also thought that's exactly the comp you want to see right after you've signed a catcher to a long-term contract <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah yeah um the, the other one that jumped out to me and i was kind of surprised ben you didn't zero right in on this one was uh brendan donovan's number two comp was uh, jose okendo so, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. And and then Edgar Martinez shows up as uh Brendan Donovan's number 3. Uh Oh, was he which, on his as well? So yes. on, he was on Goldschmidt and Brendan Donovan. Interesting. I so I, I it, it, 
there's there's a lot going on right there uh, <laughs> like to go yeah. from from the quintessential hitter at number three uh to jose akendo at number two who is not the quintessential hitter um i mean you know i mean if he if he can be a little bit jose akendo and a little bit edgar martinez i think he will he will have reached peak brendan donovan yeah if you if if that is the way it plays out we will all be very happy and la- I just want to end this by pointing out that one of Jordan Montgomery's comps is Jose Quintana. So I think people can quit complaining about the Cardinals not hanging on to Jose Quintana because they did in in the form of uh, in the form of Jordan Montgomery. So, um, Ben, I think uh, lastly um, we uh, just uh, wanted to um, touch on a little bit on some of the uh, Dewitt comments. Um, during their uh, kind of media availability uh, the other day, so um, what what was what was your take on kind of some of what was uh, what was said? Uh, I I really dislike kind of the non sequitur of it's something that Mosaic has used uh, and Dewitt then used at the winter warm up was spending money just to spend money. <laughs> You know, as if as if the fans are like, hey, you need to spend some of that money, you, you know, for no reason. And it's like, no, the team does not have an ace starting pitcher like you need one. Um, and and so uh, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but one of the things that I found uh, really interesting um, that he said with respect to um the shortstop position uh, was pretty interesting because, you know, he was saying that you've got, um, you've got the opportunity to add an elite player at shortstop. And, and he sort of made it sound like they looked at that, but then you look at what we have and that next year, uh, we're going to have a shortstop uh, who is due to be maturing. And the exact quote is you might get better this year. If you signed a big shortstop, for example, a little bit this year, but then what about the shortstop we have coming up in the system? Who's due to be maturing next year. (laughs) And I was just like, like he's a, you know, I don't know, an apple tree or something like he's maturing (laughs) next year. Um, And, and how, uh, owners talk about players, but it was also pretty interesting uh, because uh, in our last episode we talked about how Tommy Edmond was a perfectly cromulent bridge to Mason Wynn, <laughs> and now here's ownership yeah. is just kind of like, well, yeah, we could have gotten better this year by signing a shortstop, but we've got Mason Wynn coming up next year, so why would we do that? And and there you have it, right? Like ownership just basically says, you know, like we're we didn't sign a shortstop because we think Mason Wynn is going to be ready next year. And, you know, the first seven years, six or seven years of his career, this is reading between the lines is going to be better than years two through eight of that Trey Turner contract or that Carlos Correa contract or take your pick. And so I, I found that to be pretty interesting because of where the Cardinals are relative to the Brewers, relative to the Mets, relative to the Braves, relative to the Dodgers, at least according to Zips, they're on par with them. If the Cardinals had added two wins at shortstop or second base or in the form of an ace starting pitcher, you know, they're probably a number one or a number two seed in the National League and they don't have to deal with the wild card nonsense. And so uh very interesting that ownership was not willing to make that type of an investment to better the team uh for this season um yeah. and and also Ben they only have one starting pitcher under contract next year so you're yeah. going to have to pay someone something at some point in time <laughs> yeah why wouldn't you yeah. go sign an ace uh for this year to help you maybe win a world series and for next year, because you only have one uh, returning starter and sure you can populate it with Libertor and Thomas and that, but you know, that doesn't seem like a very Cardinals thing to do because then you're, you're 
you're using all of your depth as the line of first defense in the rotation and who you yeah. get to have in reserve. So I found all yeah. that interesting. I agree. And, you know, you know, Bill DeWitt desperately wants fans to believe that there is a, a limit to Cardinals spending beyond just how much money Bill DeWitt chooses to spend. And, and there is not, you know, um, and, uh, you know, Steve Cohen has reminded <laughs> all baseball fans of this. Right. And, uh, you know, and it's something that I, I frankly appreciate about the way that Steve Cohen has, has, uh, you know, um, managed, uh, or, you know, how he owns that team. Um, you know, the way I always think about this, I mean, there's 30 major league baseball teams, right. And so only 30 people in the world get to own a major league baseball team. And every one of these people is fantastically wealthy from their other business endeavors, uh, which, you know, continue to produce fantastic wealth for them. And yet, (laughs) um, you know, nearly all of them also insist that this um, amazing bobble of a baseball team that they own also produce wealth for them, um, you know, which is nuts, right? Um, uh, you know, or, or, you know, they at least, you know, set whatever limits they, uh, they, they choose to on, you know, how much they spend, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you, you know, bottom line is it's, it's, it's kind of at their whims, you know, how, how they do that. And they don't really want we, the fans to, you know, to think about that or, you know, think about it that way, because then we will think badly of them for, for not spending more. And, um, you know, but it's our right as fans to, you know, to think that of them, frankly. And so Ben, I propose to you the fact that, um, you know, the, the DeWitts, um, you know, one of their many assets is they, uh, they own a tremendous number of Arby's franchises. And so what I think we ought to do is, you know, it, it seems like you should, one should be able to figure out like what is the average value of an Arby's franchise? Like that seems like something that should be a known quantity. And we, we should calculate that value. And then, um, f- as, you know, then we could, you know, figure out free agent values. We could convert those into Arby's units. So, you know, when we look at, you know, whether or not they could acquire a Trey Turner. So rather than use Bill DeWitt's language of, you know, spending money to spend money, we could say, you know, whether or not, you know, is Trey Turner worth, you know, nine Arby's units or however many units it is. What what do you think about that? Would that be a better framework for us going forward? Uh, I I think it might be. Um, We would have to uh, make sure to remind our new listeners of the Arby's units involved. Um, And, uh, but, and I think that you're onto something there though, because what you're seeing is like fast food franchises are notoriously uh, kind of, they're efficient at making something that's okay, but not good. You know, like that's, that's the epitome of Arby's, right? And Bill DeWitt is really kind of taking the Arby's model and applying it to the St. Louis Cardinals, right? <laughs> like, um, and just having something that's like, you know, like not bad, <laughs> but not as good as it could be. My meal is not bad, but it's not as good as it could be. The arbification of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, the arbification of the St. Louis Cardinals by Bill DeWitt Jr. Yeah, um, yeah. is is what has happened, and it it really is. It really was very interesting to hear him basically say, and then in his same breath say, and Mosaic, right? Like, oh no, we had planned to spend more than this, but the free agent market just got a little out of control this year. And it was just like, yeah, but you're here. Like you have a team that could win the world series and you're sitting here saying that they're going to keep their, their powder dry. Like they've done every year for Mm -hmm. 10 years. Well, where does that dry powder go if they never deploy it to make the major league team better? It goes into build the wits wallet, right? Like that's where it goes. 
And it, in a way, Ben, it, it kind it, it, of it, buy, it buys more Arby's in Grand Junction, Colorado, Ben. That's yeah, what it does. That's absolutely right. It makes Bill DeWitt that much more liquid that he can afford another franchise in another state of Arby's to increase his $4 billion worth of wealth. And so uh, that's the other thing is like Bill DeWitt, you're, you're not Steve Cohen, but you're worth an estimated like $4 billion, man. Like what yeah, are we even right. talking about here? Well, that, no, and that's the thing too, but it's so funny because the way the, I think the way a lot of the writing happens about these guys, it does, it's like, oh, well, Steve Cohen is so wealthy. It's like all of these guys are that wealthy, you know, like there's nobody, you know, there's nobody that owns a major league baseball team that's, uh, you know, that's struggling, frankly. Well, right. Like, but it's all, also, they're all doing okay. But also Ben, Steve Cohen is not paying every cent of the Mets payroll out of his pocket. Right? 100%, 100%. Like the Mets right. are generating revenue and he right. is choosing to pour more of that revenue into the major league roster than any other owner, which is what Bill DeWitt takes umbrage at. And when Bill DeWitt and his son get up and say, well, we were 12th in revenue and 12th in payroll, I say, prove it. And everyone just repeats it. Right. Like like we know this is true. You should have to open everything up if you're going to make claims like that. And, you know, they never will. But it's, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where when you see the Reds ownership putting together misleading slides, cherry picking data from fan graphs, it makes you wonder, you know, if nothing can be verified that they're saying, how true is what they're saying? You, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? If they're willing to right. go to a fan group, if one of their one of their 30 ownership groups is willing to go to the fans of their team and mislead them with a PowerPoint, um, then what is the disincentive for something that can't be verified to be misleading yeah. with that if, if you're another owner? And I just, uh, you know, with the way that Manfred was misleading us you know, during the lockout, you know, I, I'm still, I think, carrying that with me because he was just lying to us. And, you know, so he's lying to us on behalf of all the owners. So why would the owners not mislead us on their own when there's nothing we can do to see whether or not they're telling the truth? And so it just interrupts me the wrong way. No, you're right. And, 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 and he wouldn't, because of course he's, he's nothing but a mouthpiece for the owners. And, yeah. and so the only thing that we can do is we can be precise in our language language, and we can call these people out and we can refuse to use the, the framing devices that they insist that we use, um, which are, which are false and misleading. So, yeah. Um, so that's what we try to do here on Cardinals off day. And that's why, that's why we will uh, try to calculate Arby's units and use more useful frameworks like that going forward for you, our listeners. Um, <laughs> ben, I think we're coming up on an hour here. Should we, uh, should we uh, try to roll the train into the station or anything else? Uh, no, I, I think we can wrap things up. I, I was very excited uh, for the Zips projections. They're available on fan graphs. Uh, it, it, they were published today, January 19th, 2023. Uh, the post analyzing them by Dan Zimborski is available there. Uh, and it should be on the main page uh, when you're listening to this, or you should be able to find it by just going to the 2023 zips projections, uh, tab there at the top, there's projections and you can, you can go to the zips projections. If you want to check them out for yourself, they're a lot of fun, uh, you know, there's a reason they play the games, but it's January and there's snow on the ground, at least where we are. Uh, so it gives us uh, a little bit of a fun thing to go over and talk about uh, since the grass won't be green for another few months. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ben, do you want to end things with a, an off day recommendation for folks? Um Yes. Uh, my off day recommendation is uh, Derek Gould at stltoday.com uh, went out uh, and visited Nolan Arenado out in California and went to uh, his uh, own uh, workout facility for batting and, and everything. And it's called the factory. 
he wrote a profile on Arenado. It contains a description of the mural on the wall that is in a graffiti style. Uh, the whole thing was, I thought, pretty interesting and worth your time. And, and I encourage you to give it a read. All right. Uh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to recommend something completely non-baseball related. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, the film After Sun. Um, it's uh, been out for a while. It kind of came out in November, but it's a smaller film. So it's kind of drifted around, may have played where you are, may not have. Um, I think you can, um, I think it's on pay vod now i don't know if it's on a streamer um but it's it's a little film it's from a24 um it's uh uh from uh, uh scottish uh, writer director charlotte wells it's her first feature um it is uh a, a young woman um or, or uh, she's an adult woman actually kind of uh, is the sort of framing device but she's uh looking back uh, remembering a vacation she took with her father when she was young. And it's just kind of her, her memories of that and kind of clashing with kind of her, her understanding of that as an, as an adult. And it just, it just, it's an amazing piece of filmmaking. Uh, it really just comes together to this uh, pretty amazing kind of emotional climax at the end. Um, just, it was a real knockout of a film. I think it's one of the best films I've seen in years. So um, if it at all sounds like your kind of thing, I would say, check it out. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's the kind of film that I don't know if it's gonna get any Oscar nominations or anything, but you, you see it on the top of a lot of critics lists because it's really just a fantastic film. And so I would recommend it. Um, anything else, Ben, before we, uh, we wrap it up? No, uh, thanks everyone for being patient with us uh, here during the holidays, and thanks for listening, and we'll uh, probably be circling back around next month around the time uh, Pitches and Catchers report. Go Cards!